We've been talking about Christianity that works, that makes a difference, that changes our families, changes our communities, changes our very lives. And so far, as we've looked at the writings of James in our Bibles, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we've seen the Christianity that works finds joy in times of trial, understanding that those trials produce steadfastness and strength in faith. We've seen the Christianity that works understands that God does not do evil. He does not tempt us to do evil. We've looked at Christianity that works. We've seen that Christianity that works doesn't show favoritism. Doesn't give preferential treatment to the rich. We've seen that Christianity that works cares for orphans and widows. We've seen that Christianity that works impacts what we do. We don't say one thing and do another. It has an impact. We don't just say we have faith. We live out that faith. And last week we looked at that Christianity that works impacts what we say, how we talk. It makes a difference in our lives. So I want to talk today about James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And again, as I reflect on this passage of Scripture, just like last week, I end up with a prayer that goes something like this, Lord, help me. Here's what he says. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. This is important. He's saying, who would call yourself wise? Show it by how you live. The difference between knowledge and wisdom is wisdom is the right application of truth. Right? Wisdom is the right application of truth. That's so why you can know people who know a lot of stuff, but they don't live wisely. And there can be a temptation to elevate knowledge and demote wisdom. And it's dangerous to know a lot and not be wise. I remember watching, actually reading a novel, and the point of the whole novel is that this society had destructed because it had eaten of knowledge without wisdom. Destroyed itself, because it knew all of these things, but it didn't know how to apply what it knew. We pray, we seek, and James has told that already, in the first chapter of James, that if we lack wisdom, we should ask God. So he's saying, if you, if you say you're wise, those who are wise among you, show it in, in how you live. By this good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom, in this humbleness of wisdom. This is important because James is going to tell us Later in his epistle, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So it'd be wise to do the things 
that gets God. pouring his grace into our lives, it would not be smart to do things that God opposes. Make sense? Let's continue to read. But if you have bitter jealousy, bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition in your hearts, when the scripture talks about cardia, the heart in Greek, it means the center of who you are. If the center of you are in your your thoughts and your emotion and your will, if you have selfish ambition, rivalry, and bitter jealousy, those are the things you have. Do not boast, he says. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. But it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. What destroys so many local churches? Earthly, demonic, unspiritual wisdom that's full of selfish ambition, rivalry, and bitter jealousy. Churches normally don't divide over the color of the carpet. They divide over who gets to pick the color of the carpet. I want to be in control. I want it my way. My preferences become canonized. What I like in music, what I like in decorations, what I like in this and what I like in that, that's what needs to happen. And if it doesn't happen... I'm going to cause trouble. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see, wisdom, it's the proper and effective application of knowledge to a person's life. You can, be, you can be very intelligent and know lots of facts and still lack true wisdom. James is saying there's a kind of wisdom that is not actually wise. It seems wise because the measuring stick it uses to determine its effectiveness, its effectiveness is corrupt. It is not based on truth. Remember, Scripture says, some of you know this, some, some of these may not be aware of this verse, but in Psalm 111, verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. So he's saying, fear of the Lord is not just a fact, it's something you practice. How do you live this out? What difference does it make? Well, deciding whether something is wise or foolish, whether it's effective or not effective, 
should be based on truth, right? If you think that there is a God, which I don't just think there's a God, I believe there's a God, don't you? Believing in God is necessary to live wisely. Isn't that what he's saying? Because the Scripture says that if we're going to please God, we must believe, this is in Hebrews, that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Think about it. What's wise if there's a God and what's wise if there's not a God are totally different things. True? If there's no God and the way that people get ahead is by survival of the fittest, then being selfish and driven and jealous makes some sense. Right? Get what you can get. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Buy your competition or bury them. That's how the world works. But if there's a God and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him, then we should live differently. True? If we're here by accident and we're heading nowhere, We're going to live our lives one way. But if we believe that we were created to bring glory to God and that all of us sinned and fall short of that glory and we need a Savior, you see, because we were created to find our joy and delighting in God and to live in peace and harmony with one another and the default of our life got set on selfishness and we need a Savior to set us free from our sins, then, then the wisest thing to do would be to give our lives to Jesus, asking Him to be our Lord and Savior, and, it, and to let that make a difference in how we live our lives every day. True? The things that James is saying so far make sense if God exists. They don't make sense if He doesn't. Why, why should we take care of orphans and widows? Because they're created in the image of God and God wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? Why shouldn't we show favoritism to the rich? Because before God, men and women are of equal value and God does not want us to live selfishly and just try to kiss up to the people who get us stuff. So point one, Christianity that does not work promotes a wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Not pretty hard to see where we got that from the Scripture, right? Let's talk about those briefly. One, it's earthly. It's concerned only with this life and material blessings. Right? John Ortberg suggests that we go around 
with post-it notes and put a post-it note on everything in our home and mark it temporary or eternal. Refrigerator, temporary. Car, temporary. Cell phone, really temporary. I dropped mine the other day and drove over it with my car. <laughs> so, those things are temporary. But what's eternal? God's eternal. We're eternal. So our eternal destiny makes a big difference, does it not? Is most of our thinking based on earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom? Remember the rich young man who came to Jesus and Jesus told him to go sell all his possessions and come and follow him? Some of you know that story? Some of you don't? If you don't, it's a very basic story. Jesus says, go sell all, all your possessions and come and follow me. And he, the rich guy says, nope, right? He went away sad. Not only did he make the wrong choice, he made a stupid choice, did he not? For years I would read that story and I would think about Oh, boy, that would be really hard. I wonder what he had to give up. I wonder what God would want me to give up. It's not how you're supposed to think about the story. You're supposed to think about, this is Jesus, fully God, fully man on flesh, saying, come and be with me. And this guy turned away from that for stuff he couldn't keep. Remember Jim Elliott, some of you may not even have heard this quote, but Jim Elliott the missionary said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But this fake wisdom is very earthly. Next, it's unspiritual. It's without regard to spiritual things and driven by sensual and fleshly desires. If it feels good, do it. Pack your life with as much sensual pleasure as you can. Right? That's the wisdom of the world. And next, it's demonic. It's demonic. It's encouraged and promoted by demons. Point two. Christianity that promotes wisdom that is pure. Christianity that works promotes wisdom that is pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's reasonable. It's full of mercy, full of good fruits, impartial and sincere. Let's take a look at those. First, it's pure. It's free of contamination. It's not polluted by 
bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. It's peaceable. It seeks true peace. Right? A.W. Tazi used to say, if you're going to tune 50 pianos, you don't try to tune them to each other, you tune them to a tuning fork. Right? And if everybody in the church or everybody in the organization or everybody in the world all seeks to glorify themselves, you don't have peace, right? You have division and jealousies and fighting and rivalries. But if we all say, we exist to find our delight, to find our pleasure, to find our joy and seeing God made much of, then we can be together in our rejoicing. Right? We don't have to envy somebody else. We can be faithful to what God has given us. We can want peace. See, it's gentle. It's, it's not harsh or rash. Be still and know that I am God, says God. It's not wise to freak out. If your Heavenly Father is God of all creation, all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-wise, freaking out when your phone gets run over by your own car doesn't make a lot of sense. Right? Next, it's reasonable. It's not stubborn or argumentative, but well thought out and willing to listen. Have you learned to detect when you're becoming unreasonable? If you're here and you say, I'm never unreasonable. Hmm. I think most of us realize sometimes we get unreasonable, don't we? We stop calculating as God would want us to calculate. We start defending ourselves. We want to be reasonable. Open to listen to God. Open to listen to one another. James has already covered that earlier in his letter when he said that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Next, it's full of mercy, willing to forgive and to give to those in need. It's full of mercy full of grace. God's been good to us. We should be good to others. He says if you're not going to forgive other people, then you're not going to receive forgiveness, right? So by God's grace, we pray to be forgiving people. It's impartial. It doesn't show favoritism. This is the battle, this is the battle we have every day between Earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Because our culture teaches us 
to give preferential treatment to the famous, the rich, and those who can help us out. But Jesus told us to give to people who can't give back to us, because great will our reward be. Right? H, sincere, not pretentious, not hypocritical, not showy. True wisdom is humble. So let's move to point three and four. True wisdom shows itself in good conduct done in meekness. James in chapter 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Wise people understand that they're nothing apart from Christ. They can do nothing without Him. But with Him, with God's help, they can do all things. All things meaning all things He calls us to do. I'm going to go to point four and say to you, false wisdom shows itself in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. I believe that these negative characteristics are oftentimes in our lives and in our churches and in our families and we domesticate them and we act like they're not a big deal. Right? In fact, if someone comes in and says, it's really hard for me, you can't understand how hard it is for me, my brother or my sister, they get straight A's and they're the best on the athletic teams. You know how hard it is to be their sibling? We bring them over and we coddle them. Oh, that must be so hard. I even heard a preacher one time say how terribly hard it would have been to have Jesus as your brother. Can you imagine having a perfect sibling? Do you realize that all of that is a commercial for selfish ambition and bitter jealousy? As an earthly father, I want my children to rejoice in the accomplishments of their siblings, not see them as things that threaten their own happiness. Get that? So yesterday when we found, and we're, we're excited that Peter son qualified for three events at the national track meet, I don't have to fear telling one of my other children that. But they're going to go, oh, dad likes him better, loves him more, right? And I say, uh, look, this, this student got, you know, straight A's. It's not a competition. Amen? Do you realize how much joy we rob ourselves by cottering to, catering to, excuse me, catering to jealousies? Right? God made you. He made me. He loves us. The God of the universe loves us. He delights in us. He's called us to Himself. 
So, so why let jealousy rob us of joy? What about selfish ambition? It's a lonely thing to always just try to one-up everybody. Why don't we just seek to be the best us that we can be? One of the stories I, I like to tell, and Anna's given me permission to do it, when, when Anna was young, she was upset because someone got their work done at school faster. And I remember I sat her down and I said to her, are, are you the smartest child in your class? She was pretty young. She said, yes, I am. And I said, no, you're not. And she kind of frowned. And I said, are you the fastest? Because she would got upset at PE time. Are you the fastest kid in your class? Yes, I am. N no, you're not. And she frowned at me. But the reason we adopted you and the reason God made you had nothing to do with being the fastest or the smartest. Daddy's not the fastest in his class. Daddy was never the smartest in his class. Right? But I said, Anna, what's your purpose? She said, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, and how do you think God wants you to do that? I think God wants me to share with other people and tell them His, his love is greater than any pain in their life. And I'd like to tell orphans and orphanages that. I said, well, I think God will equip you and empower you to do that, my friend, my dear daughter. Right? And so it doesn't matter if you're the fastest or the smartest. It's not a competition. You're who God made you. He's got a purpose for your life. He's going to use you to make a difference in the world for His glory. Find your joy in that. How many parents here? How many of you have had conversations similar to that with your kids and walk away? And pretty sure you think the Holy Spirit said, do you listen to yourself? <laughs> can be hard out there sometimes, can it? The world wants to say you don't measure up. You're not as quick or as good or as bright as somebody else. And it can be easy to turn all our attention on ourselves and get to self-pity. It is so destructive. What if we just chose to have godly wisdom that was humble and said, when those I love succeed and go further than I go, I'm going to rejoice in that. Amen? Because great is God. Here's what I realized. For a period of my life, I could not see anybody do anything without comparing it to my own activity. Now most of that, 
I thought the problem was I had low self-esteem, maybe, right? So somebody plays the piano and you go, wow, I, I took piano lessons. I wish I could play like that. I guess I'm not very good at that. But, but the issue is narcissism. Not low self-esteem. It's really not about, about me. It's about God's glory. Amen? It's not, what, what, why was I sitting there not going, wow, these guys got talent up here. That's great. I love music. I'm going to keep developing what I have, but I don't think I'm ever going to get like that. You're probably not going to invite me on the stage. That's okay. But praise the Lord. Amen? Do you see what happens? Joy starts to multiply because it's not just my accomplishments and my successes that bring joy. It's the accomplishments of every success that brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus. It's not just my church or my. It's God's church. It's God's things. And I've told this story before, but when I sat in Ukraine and heard about other churches having ministries there, and I started to feel bad that maybe we weren't doing enough, and not like a holy conviction, but like a sinful self-pity, I realized my joy should be going up, not down. Right? Don't you want to be a part of this? Isn't that what's wise? To get our eyes off ourselves and put them on the glory of God and realize that our value is in the God who loves us. And you know what? No insult. No, no rude comment can change my identity or my destiny. I'm called by God, and so are you. Amen? You know, one thing that uh, I'm going to use, and the praise team is going to come now as we get ready, and I, I hope you'll think about the connection card and what the next step of faith for you is. And uh, as you look through that next step, Maybe memorize James 3.13. Or just set aside time right now. You know, just take out your phone and make an appointment with yourself to sit down and evaluate the choices you're making in life and see, do they line up with the wisdom of Scripture? Pray that God will help you overcome jealousy. Jealousy is not easy to overcome. Amen? And then maybe there's just a line there, God's leading me to this or that. Just pray about that. Last week, I backed up all my photos. I guess uh, I, I get no money from Google. I can say on Google Photo, right? I, I didn't know that that, well, that was a wise decision or not until I ran over my phone. Then I decided it was good that it was an all right on that phone, that it was backed up somewhere else. Isn't it wise to put our treasures and our most valuable things in someone's hands? A God who's much greater than Google that can keep it for us, amen? And say, so if you mess up, I can say, I got you. Let's move forward. I began a good work in you. I'll bring it to completion. Now, if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, may I ask you right now, why not just ask Jesus to forgive your sins, be the Lord and Savior of life, your life, and ask His Holy Spirit to fill you? And then let us know about that.
And if you're here today and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you be willing to take a moment right now and think about the choices you're making and ask yourself, am I walking wisely? Am I praying for God's grace to be wise? Are some areas of my life tainted and corrupted by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? And if they are, just say, Lord, forgive me, help me. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dear Lord, we pray that you would help us apply your truth for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This sermon is from Edgewood Baptist Church. You can find more information about us online at ebc-edmonds.org. Thanks for listening.